0: Previously, on the mortal path. Our three heroes wake up in a cave. They are each alone, each in their own rooms, and each room has two doors with two colours, except for Natalia's room, which also has two mirrors. After flipping a coin, Taro goes through the blue door, and Natalia approaches her mirrors... She sees a strange reflection, two of her in each one but moving independently, and they offer her a deal, and all she has to do is choose. She chooses the red and takes the gem and finds her fingertips stained red, along with a spot on her lower lip. The mirrors disappear and she exits through the red door. Nerian, being cautious, decides to wait a while to see if anything happens, but when nothing does, she opens the green door and heads through. Before long, the three of them meet for the first time and get a good look at each other. We meet Taro, an indigo tiefling with round glasses and hair that's cropped close to his skull. He has two long horns that add an extra six inches to his height of an impressive five foot and two inches. Natalia, at five four, is the tallest of the group. She's a well-built human woman with a sword on her side and dark leathers. And Nerium is a halfling, although she is going by the name Meredith Burroughs. These three strangers make their way through the caves, coming across various puzzles and an encounter with a strange creature that they've never seen before, and finally they end up in a chamber full of constellations and stars, and when they escape that and run out of the cave, they realise that they are in the central icy ring around Alphalan, a mountainous landscape, cold and in an eternal twilight thanks to the passing of the moons and the way that the planet rotates on its axis. Weary, cold and hungry, the three of them head towards the twinkling lights of a little village, but on the way they meet a strange and curious person pretending to be dead in the middle of the road to surprise his brother. Devon, being a kind-hearted soul, invites them back to the village and allows them to stay with him, providing them with warmer clothes for the evening, some food, and a little bit of information about the village of Little Ebbing. However, when Taro, Natalia and Nerium are woken from their sleep by the head of the guard, accusing them of murder, things quite quickly take a turn for the worse. They're unable to provide good evidence as to why they haven't killed Devon's brother, but they don't have any compelling evidence as to how they have either, and so the head of the guard decides to take them to Grendelford, the nearest big city, and get them a proper trial. On the way, some escapes are attempted and thwarted, and by the time they reach Grendelford, they realise there is a carnival going on, and the town is in mid-celebration. But luckily, a well-known magic user, Marlo, part of the Bright Step Circus, is in town, and she has solved a case for the authorities in the past. After talking to Marlo, she is able to determine that the three of them are not guilty, and asks for a moment alone. She has met Taro before, although Taro doesn't seem to remember her, and she claims that she found someone, and that he paid her to do so. She is able to use divination magic, scrying, and points out that although she looked for Taro, she wasn't able to find him, and that he never left her with a name. But he owes her a lot of unpaid money for her services, and in order to repay that, she asks him and Natalia, and Nerium, to attend a ball, the Ice Tooth Ball, held by the mayor every year as part of the celebrations. She tells him of a man, Eldon Zugai, of whom she is very suspicious, she wants them to find information out about him at the ball. However, he knows who she is, and therefore she can't ask directly, but he shouldn't know who the three of them are, and that should make it easier for her questions to be answered. Nerium, however, does recognise that name, and decides that she will not attend the ball. While Natalia doesn't owe Marlowe any money, Marlowe promises to help teach her about her new magical skills. Magical skills Tarot has also shown in the cave, although he is adamant that he has none and it's some sort of strange fluke. Agreeing to the terms, Nerium helps Natalia and Taro dress appropriately for the ball and sends them on their merry way. The ball itself is crowded and they meet a few interesting characters before Natalia makes the first move on Elden Zugai. She manages to glean a bit of information from him about his business prospects and what he's doing in Grendelford, and he doesn't seem to think very highly of it. There's a sense that maybe he's been sent here, and that the business, although it is seemingly legitimate, is not perhaps his first choice. Meanwhile, Nerian back in the town hall is digging through her new companion's belongings and trying to find out as much as she can about them. Taro's bag has costumes and a few weird odds and ends, but Natalia's holds a diary, revealing some information about her past. After Natalia's attempt to glean information from Eldon, Taro decides to make his move. Deciding to use intimidation rather than persuasion, he gets Elden out onto the balcony and makes a few threats and implications that put Elden Zugai on edge. However, before the situation can be resolved, the mayor gathers everyone onto the balcony to watch the opening act of the ice-tooth ball. A large metallic snake is revealed, seemingly mechanical in nature, but Nerium, who's still in the town hall, hears footsteps from outside, and upon glancing out, she sees... Another face she recognises, an old servant from the manor she used to work in, except that servant died decades ago. And as the servant turns to look at her, it suddenly disintegrates into this mound of dead animals, small toads and rats and bats. And then the mechanical viper begins to move, and it doesn't look like it's moving like it should. People start to panic, Natalia, Taro and Nerim are all overcome with this awful burning pain and before they can do anything about it, all three of them are rendered immobile and when they come to, they are standing in this red sandy desert. It's burning hot and there's this strange metallic pole with these gramophone-like speakers hanging from it and a strange voice apologises for the inconvenience and then goes silent. Taking a moment to right themselves, our heroes have a look around and decide to head towards a strange shape on the horizon. As they get closer, they realise it is a city of sorts, looking almost like Minas Tirith if it had been dropped and listing to its side. Parts of it are destroyed and they can see tears and tears of this city leading up. And as they enter it, it looks like it's been ransacked or looted, but it's silent and empty. But not Totally. As Natalia and Nerim are exploring, they are surprised by this tall lizard person who attacks them viciously, but is subdued by their strength. He reveals that his name is Findex, and that he's part of the Queen's Guard, here under his commander, looking for rebels in this city. He says it's dangerous, that strange things move underneath it, that it's no place for people who've just appeared or arrived here, and he asks them to let him take them to his commander. They agree, and Findex begins to lead them into the city. After stopping for a rest and discovering a whole plethora of small magical items, our trio and Findex head up to the fourth layer to meet the commander, Gehesh, who is currently in charge of this mission in the fallen city. Findex tells them of Queen Eusebius in Tendron, the city nearby, tells them of being part of her guard and being a soldier under her name. He also tells them of the rebel activity in the fallen city and how they're trying to overthrow the monarchy in Tembran. Upon meeting Gehesh, Neriam, Tara and Natalia reveal that they have magical powers. This interests Gehesh greatly and he offers to take them back to Tembran and to introduce them to the queen. They ask for a moment to discuss their options and after he agrees they go into a separate room. Gehesh has told them that... The stories about there being things under the city are just rumours to keep the civilians out. There is rebel activity, the city is dangerous. It appeared six months ago and dropped from the sky out of nowhere. But there is treasure on the lower layers, and a great many magical items to be found and collected. Our three decide they don't need a guide back to Tembran, and after watching Gehesh and Severin execute the rebel they've been holding, they decide that they're better off without them, and so they make moves to kill them. A short battle ensues, and while Taro is injured, Gehesh and Severin both lose their lives while Findex is left alive, and their new friend. After disposing of the bodies, our trio and Findex take a rest before they head down to the lower layers. They have Gehesh's map and his journal detailing Atanas' manor, and decide to head there first to look for treasure. The manor itself is seemingly abandoned, But our trio soon discover that there are stranger things at work here. Some of the magical items they're finding are a little bit odd, like the piano that keeps playing itself, or the books on this violet drop, this moat of pure magic that falls from the sky during the great thunderstorms that happen to this city. They also discover that this city is not from here, and the people that inhabit it are elven-type folk, but more aquatic, with big yellow eyes and long rows of sharp teeth, they discover that the mansion belonged to Dexa Atanas, someone who works in the Arco Crypt, a huge building on the second layer below them, but who has aspirations to work in the learning chambers, the great seat of power and learning in Velo in this city down on the first layer after discovering some of his plans, some of his items, some things that indicate he's been looking into teleportation magic, into breaking into the learning chambers to conduct his own experiments. But Atena's Manor is not as empty as it seems, and there's a strange creature that takes on the form of Nerium's dad and then someone from Taro's past before they can defeat it. And when Taro and Findex fall victim to a sleeping spell, they both have strange dreams of crying, coming from far far down below. After a thorough search of the mansion, Findex notices something moving by a large temple in the middle of the third layer, and after a moment of hesitation, they decide to go and check it out. They move back through the manor, through the rooms that have been torn apart but are in a weird stasis of sorts, and make their way through the city. The thing moving is a piece of armour still rocking on the ground, a piece of armor from Queen Eusebius's guards, one of the other groups sent down below to scout out ahead. The group enters the temple, seeing visions of the people of Velo in this dust cloud that kicks up, and they see something going terribly wrong, then blocking the doors to keep something out or protect themselves within. And as they move across the temple to the huge altar, with a secret door leading down into the Arco Crypt, they are suddenly surprised by an awful creature on the ceiling, some amalgamation of the statue of Rusa, or Shah, the Dark Lady as Nerium knows her, attacking them. Taro decides to make a run for it as Nerium heads back towards the statues which are now blocking their exit and Natalia is stuck in the middle for a brief moment, but before Taro can get into the altar, he is devoured by this creature and disappears. In a panic, Natalia starts to attack the creature, but it isn't until Nerium holds up her candle of Shah and shines bright light into the area that it crumbles into dust. Taro, who has been kept safe inside it by his mysterious benefactors, take a moment to talk to him, assuring him that his magic was a gift from them, and that he cannot take it back. Our group decide to seek refuge inside the altar, and while they are resting, Natalia in her meditation has a vision of sorts, meeting her two patrons and being granted new abilities. Nerium has a dream of a single figure who leaves a small mark of a bell on her collarbone and asks her to bring more to her. And Taro has a vision of sorts, a daydream almost, of two figures. And after he invites them to play cards, cheats twice, and still manages to win, they grant him and their teammates with a boon. After resting, they decide to head down to the Arco Crypt. And there they meet Taishul, one of the original inhabitants of Velo. However, as she can only speak Infernal, and as Taro is the only one in the group who can speak Infernal, though Natalia can read it, Taro is forced to play mediator, and translates between them. She tells them of a demon down in the learning chambers, who attacked all the inhabitants of Velo, who dragged them screaming down there, and who she managed to escape just before the city moved. She is badly wounded, missing one of her legs, and almost eviscerated kept alive by the strange magic in this place and keeping her pain managed with the strange vats that she rests in she pleads with them to head down to find any survivors and to rescue them and after deciding that they'd probably be very grateful and willing to repay a blood debt taro and the group decide to head down but first they visit dex's office and they find there his plans his experiments how he's going to sneak into the learning chambers and conduct his experiments on teleportation, reanimation, and life itself. When the group gets down to the learning chambers, they are faced with a huge building, seemingly incredibly magical. In fact, the whole first layer is overladen with this almost blizzard of magic, And the Learning Chambers itself is a strange place with rooms that don't make sense, with gravity being flipped, things being teleported around. And as they get closer to the heart of the Learning Chambers, they discover the desiccated body of Dexa lying outside the doors, a key clutched in one hand. And after a moment of examining the body, Nerium realises that he is not dead. But he cannot speak, and they don't know if he can hear them, and he certainly can't respond. They go into the heart of the learning chambers, and there they find a small boy who introduces himself as Kaishu, although again only Taro can understand him. He's tiny, frightened, afraid, and very, very hungry. Hungry like many things in the fallen city have been, like Taro's warning in Atanas Manor but the group decide to hear him out, recognising him as one of the children from Atenus Manor, Kaishu Atenus, the son of Dexa and Nianchi. All he wants to do is leave, and they decide to take him back up to Taishul to rest and to work out what should happen. As they leave the learning chambers, Natalia, still wary about this demon, decides to take a bit of leg meat from one of the slain elves, tucking it away in her bag for later. But moving through the learning chambers, suspicions begin to rise. Kaishu is very, very light, and he seems very eager to cling on to whoever is being kindest to him at that moment. And that night, as they're bedding down in the Arco Crypt, Natalia awakens to Nerium's suspicions, only to find that the meat in her bag is gone. This sparks an immediate panic and everyone is woken to discuss what happens. But there's confusion and no solid evidence, so while Kaishu sits up all night muttering to himself, the rest catch some uneasy sleep. That morning, Nerium peers into the next room where Kaishu is, only to see a figure of Natalia there holding her magic and repeating something in Natalia's voice, and then watches it shift. Kaishu is revealed to have magic powers of some kind, and after getting into an argument with him in front of everyone, Kaishu begins to scream. The group is knocked out and by the time they come to, they realise that something is very, very wrong. They try and move through this area, but there's just darkness and then they're in this constellation chamber, the Hall of Stars that they've been in before. And hanging there is this strange creature holding this ghostly apparition of Findex's hand. It becomes clear that this is Kaishu's true form and that he is in fact what people have been calling the demon but there's something deeper at work here the group battle through this strange dreamlike landscape uncovering more about dexa about axon his real name not kaishu as he had them believe and they discovered that axon is a creature born from the violet drop created by dexa something made from pure magic into life and it was hungry and dexa was afraid of it he locked Axon up, and when Axon proved too powerful, he began to fear him. But Axon had made friends with Kaishu, one of the children living in Atnis Manor, and had shown him these magical tricks, the items that the group is now carrying. They realize they're battling not only against Axon, but they have to navigate recesses of their own minds, their own memories, and work together in order to wake up, to wake up from this nightmare-like dreamscape they're in. And when they do wake up, They are lying in the heart of the learning chambers, Findex, his leg broken, being threatened by Axon, who at that moment looks like Natalia, and who was convinced they were dead. After an attempt to talk to Axon, to find out what exactly he wants, to which his reply is to go to Tembran, something which Findex has been promising him, but hasn't yet completed, waiting for the three of them to wake up, they decide to take decisive action. A fight breaks out, and Axon unleashes his full power against them, killing each of them once, but the magic in the learning chambers doesn't let them die fully, and while Natalia and Taro are able to be healed back to their normal selves, by the time the fight finishes Nerium is still suffering a grievous injury and should be dead, in a panic, Taro, who has cast the Killing blow on Axon, takes this violet drop, this secondary one that Axon had devoured when he devoured Dexa after bringing them down to the Heart of the Learning Chambers, and he shoves it in Nerium's mouth, bringing her back to life and giving her a plethora of strange powers along with it. In addition, of course, to the magic that has already awoken inside her during this adventure in the fallen city. With the immediate danger averted and Axon no more, three decide to accompany Findex back to Tenbrin to meet this wizard who might be able to transport them back to their original planet of Alphalan and away from this alien landscape they've ended up on. With the red desert stretching before them and the lights of Tenbrin glittering in the distance, we begin our next adventure.